Aloha, my name is Rebecca Ra and welcome to Many Mediums, the channeling channel where we explore the myriad of ways in which spirit speaks to us and through us. So, as I mentioned in the last episode, since we're in this Yule time, I thought it would be neat to do something kind of fun. And I find myself in the right circumstances to do it, I feel so... Um, I got this idea yesterday that over these next days of Yule until the first, I'll do a daily podcast and just kind of finish telling my story up to about this point um, and where I left off in it would be about 2015. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> I've noticed um that life seems to be setting up this segue, which I explained in the last um, episode, how I'm noticing certain themes of like, you know, having life get sort of shooken up and what that means <clears throat> and what that can, and or more specifically, what what we make events like that mean to us and how we perceive things and then what we experience. So the the kind of connection is there's this time where there's all this madness happening in one way or another. So um, you're up to date on the current stuff. So if you want to hear that, it's in the last ap episode. But um, so now I'm, I'm going back to... Uh, Wisconsin, kind of where this all started, ironically. And, and what's really weird to me, and uh, I will uh, be sharing this soon so you can check it out on my YouTube. But during this time, I have also found myself um, working on these three paintings. And these paintings, I started them before I left to move out here. And they were in storage forever. And then I ended up moving into a place and um, kind of getting some of my painting stuff out that I hadn't looked at for a long time. And so I find myself finishing up these paintings now. And it's kind of an interesting little thing. Um, and it's three paintings and I've been out here three years. So it's like, hmm. Anyway, I just noticed there's all these odd little synchronicities. That's another word I say too much, but it happens all the time. So, so 2015, I leave my ex. It had become obvious that this is to stay in this relationship is a bad idea, and um, I I talked to two people about it before I made the decision, and I talked to my grandma and my friend Sarah, and um, my grandma's the one who I'm actually going back to visit um, at the end of the month, and she's always been kind of someone I viewed as this, a pretty strong lady, so um, she was good to get some advice from and then my friend Sarah when I told her what was going on she she also she was someone I, I tended to look up to a bit um, especially uh, you know after going through everything I did and anyway I'm getting to that so 
she invites me to stay with her while I'm kind of getting on my feet and getting my shit together after leaving my ex. And so the day I left, what ended up happening is I, um, I waited till he was visiting his family in Green Bay. And when I knew that he was up there and he was with them, I called him and asked for a divorce. And then from there, I went over to Sarah's house. And I did this for, it, it might seem kind of shitty to call someone on the phone, but I did this for a number of reasons. Um, one, I didn't want to be alone with him when I did it. Two, I didn't want him to be alone. Um, I, I wanted to make sure there were you know, pe- he had his people around him. So, um, because, well, and I recognize this marriage is bad and I recognize that he wasn't treating me right. I still have empathy and I still recognize that he had some issues going on, you know? And so, like, I, I try to, I don't know, people who do shit to other people, there's a phrase I heard that actually... Um, came to me shortly after this time and and it's hurt people hurt people it's you know um, usually if someone's gonna do some terrible shit to you there's probably something going on with them so I find myself I found myself looking at that um, you know still trying to have a little bit of empathy for the situation even though you know I, I think in many ways that I abandoned myself when I did that. And self-abandonment is something you really got to watch out for, you know, when you start taking responsibility for other people's shit too much. And then you start abandoning your own needs and um, overlooking the things that are unhealthy for you. And so... So when... When I went over to her house, she told me, um, and I'll do my best to get the time, timeline right on all this, but she told me that uh, she invited me to this party that some people she knew were having, and it turned out to be, um, they called it like a tribe party, and it was about this group of like a little over 20 people, give or take, um, And they all kind of knew each other through different associations. Some of them had been friends since, like, high school. And some of them knew each other in more recent years. Two of the people in the group I had known for a little while, um, Sarah and another girl, Carla. Um, I met Sarah before I started tattooing, and I met Carla just after I started tattooing. Um, And... I did a tattoo for Carla, and she always gave me shit that the clouds in the tattoo looked like like butts. But I was like, I really knew. Okay, sorry. I tried to fix it. <laughs> it's one of those memories. Anyway, um, Sarah and Carla, I both looked at in a way sort of like older sisters because it was like a similar vibe. They were people I could talk to and kind of be myself around. And uh, so they, Sarah mainly, but Carla too, brought me into this tribe. And there was another couple in the group, Andrew and Luna. Um, and there was 
are some bizarre synchronicities with me meeting them. Technically speaking, I actually known them longer than anybody else in this group. Uh, however, it was only through like a, a chance occurrence. So I had another friend, Sarah, way back in the day when I was in middle school. Um, it might have just been after that. Uh, it was, I don't remember for sure, but uh, I had known her since I was in fifth grade. And we, we both grew up in the same town, uh, Reeseville. And so we were good friends. And one day Sarah took me to this little metaphysical store in Stoughton called Elves Palace. And it, uh, it was so, so crazy cool. Uh, I was like just tripping out over the stuff because I already had an interest in this sort of thing, you know, but it was like, you know, when you're in your early teens, it's sometimes hard to come by this information. So I was like, yes, this is awesome. And then there was hair dye. And it was the first time I dyed my hair in unnatural color. It's not the first time I've dyed my hair. In fact, the first time my hair was dyed, I was six and my aunt bleached it blonde. Like, I don't know why she was probably drunk, <laughs> but I was born with blonde, blonde hair. And as I got a little older, my hair got darker. And then, um, and then I got light again when my aunt bleached it. And my mom had a conniption fit about that, understandably. <laughs> and then I dyed it again in sixth grade. Mom let me dye it black with temporary hair color. So I was like exploring my gothiness in sixth grade. I was a fucking weirdo, but that's the good thing. That's the good thing, you know, so being kind of weird. So anyway... And it just so happens that this friend, Sarah, who I grew up with, you know, she lived in Reeseville. And then this friend, Sarah, I make years later when, or before I start tattooing, I'm working as a CNA and that's how we meet. And I come to find out that she's living in the hometown where I'd grown up and we had moved from then, from there since. But so it was this weird synchronicity with Sarah and then Andrew and Luna, I actually met them because it was their shop when I was very young. And then fast forward, I start tattooing. I meet Sarah and Carla. And then a couple of years after that, I'm working at this other tattoo shop where the owner asked me to go pick up some um, poster holder things on Craigslist for him. And so I go to pick them up. And lo and behold, I'm going to Andrew and Luna's house because they're liquidating a bunch of shit from that shop they had. So then I meet them again. And this is before I was officially introduced to them. So I'm like, holy shit, there's this like weird fucking connection. And when I met them uh, the second time, Andrew, he he had these poster boards and some of uh, these poster holders and some of them still had posters in them. And he let me have a couple of them. And there were some interesting ones. One said, we're all mad here. And it had a Cheshire cat. One had like a bunch of sea stuff like whales and things like that. And one had this sort of psychedelic portal looking like fucking thing that was like had these psychedelic figures like falling or flying through a psychedelic space looking like it was pretty trippy so I had those posters for years um 
I'm not sure what happened to them now because of, over the last five years I've been quite a vagabond. So a lot, I've learned to let go of a lot of things. So um, anyway, uh, so then I come to meet them at this tribe party and I meet a bunch of other people in this group and there's another couple who um, works with uh, Andrew and Luna, uh, Brad and Ilya. And they have all these connections too, all of them. A lot of them have known each other for many, many years. And uh, and I guess in a way I have too, but um, then, uh, so over this little time frame after I left my ex and then started to get involved with all these guys, um, it was about a two week period where a lot of shit was going on, kind of like one, one thing after another every day. So, um, that's going to probably be the focus of this particular episode because it seems to be like a lot to get through and I want to kind of share it in detail, but at the same time, it's all in the fucking book I'm going to be releasing this year. So it's like, if you really want to know, I'll be in there, but I'm going to share it on here because I just want to fuck it. (laughs) So, uh, so we have this tribe party. It was cool. And then, uh, it was a really neat experience, and, and they have, like, vegetarian food and shit, and they're all, like, conscious, and I'm like, this is so fucking cool. I'm like, it's like, I had been, like, really seeking a kind of community for a long time. I had been craving that sense of community with people that I didn't feel fucking weird around, and I still fu- felt fucking weird around them, don't get me wrong. I had to come to realize I feel fucking weird around everybody, but there are definitely spectrums of that. <laughs> so, you know, like, you'll feel weirder around some people than others. And uh, so so that was a really cool night. <clears throat> and then the next night, I got invited to, uh, it was like a red tent thing. If you don't know what a red tent is, it's basically uh, when you're on your moon, Back in the day, certain certain uh, cultures, um, the women would go to this other tent when they were on the moon. Um, and the idea is generally it's a very powerful time. And I think some of it might just be the women just didn't feel like being bothered. Because <laughs> I definitely get that when I'm on my moon. Which I am right now, actually. Ironically, like the day after the solstice, when I get my period, it seems like a good time to release, get shit together. A lot of the cards I've been pulling have that kind of vibe. It's interesting. So anyway, so I get invited to this red tent. <clears throat> and my ex knows I'm at the red tent. I'm still like kind of, we're talking sometimes on the phone and shit like that. And I would uh, stop back by the house occasionally to grab some of my shit. Which turned out to be a really stupid idea in retrospect. I'll get to that. So he knows I'm at this thing. He knows where my friend Sarah lives. And he knows what it is. I'm like you know, I'm going to this thing, I'm still staying with Sarah and shit, um, and, and he's this whole time, like, trying to talk me out of the divorce and all that, and it ends up being a lot of this back and forth shit that continues over the course of the next week and a half, so, um, you know, there's a night of the party, and I'm, I'm hanging out with those guys, and, uh, I think there's the party and then the next day we all just kind of relaxed at Andrew and Luna's house and then the day after that was the red tent and I was I had told my husband I wanted the divorce and it was like and then I I came to find out I think the day I was at this party he was at the strip club and I was like 
he told me that and I was like, I asked you for a divorce, so I guess that's your prerogative, you know, like, <clears throat> but then he follows that up with how he, uh, he doesn't want to get divorced and stuff, and I'm like, well, you have a weird way of showing it, <laughs> like, so, and I'm like, no, I'm, I'm pretty set on this, and, uh, but then I would, I would keep ending up going back there, like, I worked in the town where he lived, I'd have to stop back to get clothes or something, and because I was trying to avoid the scene of like grabbing all my shit and being there and like trying to avoid confrontation, I think, and then getting kind of like sucked back into it, he had this ability to like get into my head in a weird way where I felt like I was being lobotomized. If you're having a conversation with someone and you come to it and you're like, this is where I stand and you feel pretty firm on it. And then through talking to them, you feel like you're being lobotomized. Maybe get out of there. <laughs> Um, so, so, uh, he crashes this red tent. He wasn't supposed to, he knew what it was. It was an incredibly disrespectful thing to do. And he knew that. And what ends up happening, I'm standing outside during this red tent ceremony, kind of, uh, gathering and I'm smoking a cigarette and there's a, a few people hanging out outside, a few women, and a lot of the women in this group have this sort of warrior vibe to them, in a sense. And some of them standing outside had that vibe. And I'm just kind of out of the circle of them, just like about, a, you know, like one step or two. And they're kind of talking and I'm just hanging back smoking a cigarette and uh, suddenly the wind picks up behind me and I hear this uh, kind of voice on the wind this very strange voice kind of like whisper hello and it felt like uh, disembodied or something like like I could hear it physically hear it you know it wasn't like when you hear stuff versus when you hear stuff like I physically heard it but it came from behind me and it came from like kind of above me and it was interesting and then immediately after that the uh the door opens Sarah pops out and she's like Becky her husband's here so they used to call me Becky back then I hate being called Becky everyone in my family and everybody back there called me Becky and I'm like that's not my name <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> anyway, um, then immediately after she popped out and said that, John comes walking around from the other side of the house opposite me. And it was just this quick succession, bam, 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 weird voice thing, Sarah, John. And he comes walking up, and everyone's just kind of like staring him down, like, what the fuck, man? And because uh, he knew, he fucking knew what this was. And it was like, his way of just being a chauvinist motherfucker and so then he's like I'm not here to talk to Rebecca he called me Rebecca I will give him that but um he uh he insisted on talking to Sarah about what I'm not entirely sure but uh they talked for a little bit and when he was there I felt myself just growing really 
exhausted all of a sudden. It was like I just got hit by a wall. And one minute I was good, I was like upbeat, and then he showed up, and then I just felt like the wind had been pulled from my sails, and I got just like hit a wall, and, and I just went down in the basement, and I went to bed. I was like, I don't even want to think right now. And um, the next morning I get up and I like get my things together. I have to work. I head back into town. I needed to get some clean clothes. And I stopped back at the house and I'm sort of like, and I think there was a part of me too that was pissed and probably wanted war of some kind, you know, there's a part of me that sometimes, like, you know, if I feel like I've been, like, I, especially back then, I, I would ruminate on shit too long, and then feel angry about it, and I think part of me felt like I wanted to have it out because of this shit, like, why did you do that, what the fuck, man, you know, and it was sort of like, choose your battles, but, and then through this, the conversation warped into, uh, he started talking about the strip club thing he went to. He, I think the conversation went something along these lines, like, you're sitting here talking about how you want me to stay married to you, yet you, you know, you also go to strip clubs, and then you, like, crash these, like, red tent things where you know what it is. And I explained this to you, and you show up when I ask you not to come. And I asked you to, like, respect me, and you didn't. And then he turned that into, a, you know, I think you'd understand me better if you went um, to the strip club with me. And I was like, wow. Hang on a second. Hey, Junior. What's you doing, dude? Oh, you should go show your mom. Let's go walk over by your mom. Hang on. Put the cigarette in there. Don't like smoking cigarettes around little kids. Uh, all right, let's go find your mom. We're gonna take a little brief intermission here while we get Junior back to his folks. Come on, man, let's go. Yeah, we'll show her this plant you found. The tall, it's as tall as you are. Junior's. Oh, leave the hose be. No, 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 leave the hose be, Junior. Come on. Hey, hey, let's go find your mom and show her this plant. Hey, yeah. He's found a plant that's about as tall as he is. He's three. This is coffee. This is what helps people like me move. It's my go-go juice. Don't drink it. There's Aya. Uh, I found a junior. He's got a jungle plant of some variety here. Yeah. I'm kind of in the middle of a thing right now, so. See ya. Yeah. Yeah. I'll deliver him back. It's the jungle. I'm sorry. All right, so as I was saying, what a weird time for a kid to come wandering up. Um, maybe this gives me an idea. 
I should make sure I have some disclaimers because my stories are not always um, PG-13, you know. Uh, so it's kind of, I'm just coming to accept that. It's the life I have of, you know, I'm a tattoo artist. I've seen some weird shit, you know. Um, anyway, where was I? So, okay, here we go. So he's telling me that he thinks I would understand him better, my ex, if I went to a strip club with him. Like, if I went to the strip club with him, then I would see where he's coming from. And it might, you know, help us or some shit. And I'm like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And part of me was just like, are you serious? And I think I was so shocked by that. Like, like you really just said that. Like, that I was like, all right, fine. What? He's like, I think you go to the strip club with me and with me. I'm like, fine. All right, I'll go to the goddamn strip club with you. So we decide that night to go to the strip club. And we stop at the gas station first. And he goes in there and he gets this, like, pink glittery fucking Playboy bunny lighter. And I'm like, that's out of character. My ex was more of a Green Bay Packer lighter kind of person. So I was like, that's odd. It's like, you know, the intuition things. I guess this little bit is intuition, weird shit. Or just simple logic. <laughs> so we get to the strip club. And uh, it's becoming kind of apparent to me that He's got to be a regular there. They know him pretty well, or he's like a, some kind of big spender when he goes in there. He goes up to get cash from the bar, and she's like, you want that in hundreds again? <laughs> I don't think she said again, but it's like she, they knew him, and I have a feeling this is a pattern. He'd go in there and, like, drop some dollars. <laughs> anyway, then eventually we go into the smoking area, and... His little brother came with us, too, who was of age. He's, like, he was in his 20s, I think. So it's, you know, not weird, but still kind of weird. But we're in the smoking room, the three of us. And this stripper comes in, and she's chatting it up with his little brother. And they actually look kind of cute together. They both had, like, nerd glasses on and stuff like that. And, like, it was just, like, interesting. Anyway... A few minutes later, another stripper comes in, and uh, she's like, she starts, she she comes in, and uh, she walks in, and she's like staring John up and down the whole time, and then he's kind of got this smile on his face, and then uh, she's chatting with the other stripper for a minute, and she's like, the other stripper's like, oh, Ariel, you don't work on the weekdays. She's like, yeah, I thought I'd come in and pick up the shift today, and I was like, oh, okay. So she was working when he was working. And then she turns to John Ariel. <laughs> and she's like, you want to have, me have a lighter I could borrow, would you? <laughs> and then John pulls out the pink glittery Playboy bunny lighter and hands it to her. And then him and Zach turn to each other and high-five each other. And I'm like, all right then. I see. <laughs> I think I understand you better. 
<laughs> and uh, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go use the bathroom. I'll be right back. And I go and I leave. I get in the truck. We all drove together. And, and I, I, um, I'm like, I'm out. Peace. <laughs> Have fun. And I had back home. And the place isn't super far from our house. It's a little bit of a drive. There's a couple ways you could do because it was sort of a, on the outskirts of town. And I remember it being a roughly four-mile walk. And uh, I had uh, noticed when I was in the strip club that there, you know, there's a big, huge sign on the wall to call a cab because people drink too much when they're at strip clubs. And the telephone number is right there. And uh, as I'm on my way back, I get a phone call. Eventually, they notice, like, oh, she's not here anymore. And uh, they're like, oh, where'd you go? I'm like, oh, he's just, I'm, I'm out. You guys figure it out. You know, he's like, we can't walk back. I'm like, oh, you call a cab. And he's like, I don't know the number to the cab. I'm like, oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Figure it out. It's on the wall. And uh, then there's a... Then he's like, well, the cab companies are closed right now. I'm like, is that so? Because I'm at a red light right next to one, actually. So, and I was like, figure it out. You guys, I'm sure, you're, you guys are resourceful. You'll figure it out. So it's like, I stopped home, dropped off the truck, grabbed a couple things, and I'm like, okay, bye. <laughs> and I took my car and headed over to Stoughton, um, Sarah and Carla both lived there. I decided I was not going to stay at Sarah's house because John knew where she lived, and since he crashed a red tent thing the night before, who fucking knows? So I was like, I'm going to go to Carla's. So, and I talked to them, and I went over to Carla's and stayed the night there, and we set up talking for a while, and I was getting my phone just bombed with like text messages and voicemails from John, and I was up fairly late. And it was continuing, and eventually I turned off my phone. And then when I went to bed, um, I just went to bed, had my phone shut off. And uh, the next day, I turned on my phone, and there's a fuck ton of messages and emails and just shit from John. And I'm like, I'm just not going to listen to it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but I had to go into work. And it was another thing of like, I just got to go. And... So, I don't remember specifically why I ended up going back to the house again. This is my own madness here. Like, this is where you can learn from my mistake. Just, you know, like, don't fucking drag shit out. Don't engage in bullshit. Just fucking save yourself a lot of drama and just be like, okay, this isn't working, okay? <laughs> Let's just stop this madness. Don't do what I did. So, uh... I ended up back at the house for some reason. I don't know if I was getting clothes or if I finally decided to like talk to him or whatever. But I'm back there and he's doing the same kind of like shit, gas lady cycle babble crap. And I'm sitting here and this time it was like, he's going on and, and it was like I knew. I'm like, I know this is not, you know, and serving my highest good you know what I mean and I'm like I gotta I gotta kind of recognize that but I was stuck in the sense that I was like I know that this is not 
Um, right. But I don't know how to get out of it. And, and it was like I didn't know how to kind of defend myself against his approach. And <clears throat> because it, it, it was weird. Um, and I, I think it could be a lot of, a lot of things. I, I've got some shit going on myself that I've, I've had to learn to kind of work with. Like, you know, I've got plenty of shit going on. That can be challenging. I'm not trying to make excuses, but at this point in my life, my particular challenge was like, you know, to stand up for myself and and trust myself, I guess, and just be like, you know what, no, and and I didn't really have that going on, and 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 then it was also the sense of like taking responsibility for other people's shit, you know, like sometimes too much empathy can be a fucker, so. I'm sitting there and I'm just feeling stuck. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get the fuck out of this situation. Like, I just feel stuck. And uh, I'm looking at the ground and there I notice on the ground is this wasp. And it's like dancing. This wasp is just like dancing on the ground. And I was kind of just like hypnotized by it in a way. Um, And then suddenly the phone rings. I missed the call. As I'm going to check my voicemail and stuff, John's phone rings, and it's Sarah, and she says to him, basically, um, if you ever attempt to break into my house again, I will end you. (laughs) And she says, like, you're damn lucky I didn't have my dogs out last night. And um, basically, from what I gather, I talked to her after this is... um, Someone had tried to push in her basement window and break into her place. And um, our thoughts were, it's got to be John. He was awake during that time. And uh, he was, like, acting pretty crazy. He claims he didn't do it. Who the fuck knows? Um, In hindsight, sometimes, now as I look back on this, I remember one thing from that night um, when I stayed at Carlos' house. I remember hearing her go out at one point at night, and I know it was pretty late, and I don't know what she was doing, if she was just going outside or what. I just remember hearing the door. So John claims he never, never did that, and I, I don't necessarily believe that either. I mean, I think it's quite likely he could have, you know, been pulling some shit. Um, but I've also had enough kind of weird gaslighting mind fuck shit happen with the rest of these people where I wouldn't necessarily put it past them to um, create a situation to help catalyze me into getting out of that. And maybe they had good intentions with it, you know. Um, but what ended up happening is uh, at that point, you know, my assumption was that it was John, and I was like, I can't be here anymore. I, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep coming back here and having these conversations with you, especially because it keeps creating more of this fucking drama and emotional shit, and now my friends are involved, and I can't do that. And so at that point, I was like, I'm out. Uh, we're done. Like, don't fucking talk to me about this anymore. We're done, you know? And, it, and like, I... I kind of drew that line at that point, um, and 
to the point where for a little bit, I just completely cut off all contact with him. Um, because I was like, this is getting to be stalkery vibes now. Um, and it was from this point that I, I just kind of like, I, I ended up kind of getting just pulled into this tribe. Um, so, you know, from here, you know, we go to this Harmony Park. So I don't, I don't think I've gotten to that part of the story yet. So, um, so we're, I, I go to a few of these little events within this smaller tribe, but one thing that all these people had in common, like a sort of glue that connected everybody in a way is uh, music. And they were all fans of this band called Wookie Foot and, and then a lot of other bands that are associated with them through this festival scene. So um, every year there's this festival in Minnesota at a place called Harmony Park called Shangri-La. And 2015, <coughs> excuse me, was my first Shangri-La experience. And coming to Shangri-La right off of all this drama shit was like magical and crazy. <laughs> and so um, I drive up there with Carla and on our way up there, it's already crazy. We hadn't even gotten to the park and well, right when we get to the park, let me get to it. Okay. So. It's a four-hour drive. The whole way, where the whole drive there is raining like cats and dogs, just crazy precipitation and <laughs> crazy precipitation. <laughs> and uh, so we uh, we're like, man, I hope it. And, and I was saying, like, I hope it doesn't like get rained out and stuff. You know, I was like really worried about that. And Carla's like, there are elders in this tribe who have some gifts. I wouldn't worry about it. And she seemed like kind of just. There's a slyness about her. I was like, okay. Well, she seemed pretty confident. I was like, all right. So then we get there. <laughs> and then I was really tripping out because we get there and, okay, so the rain still pouring in sheets and shit, but right around the perimeter of the park, it's crystal clear. There's like a wall of clouds around the perimeter of the park, but the park itself is just perfect. And in this wall of clouds around the fucking park, there are occasional flashes of red lightning and I'm not even kidding. I'm like, like red lightning in the clouds. I'm like, wow. And, uh, so we pull in and I'm already tripping out. I'm like, wow. And I wasn't tripping either. I was sober, but there's red fucking lightning going off in the clouds. Like what the fuck? Um, so we get in the park and I'm like, wow. And this is a place where you walk in there and everybody, you know, like you walk into this park and someone will approach you, give you a hug and say, welcome home. And that can be really, a really profound thing for people. It was for me being in this space. Um, let me share with you a little bit about what Harmony Park looks like and what this experience kind of feels like especially for someone who has never been before and never, never kind of even been to a festival like this. So for me, having been through everything I've explained in the previous podcast and then a bunch more shit I haven't gone into, um, I really needed a space that kind of facilitated just being able to 
have a, like this playful, innocent fun, you know, and not, I needed a space that was whimsical and carefree and happy, <laughs> you know, and, uh, walking into this park, everybody's like all festive and dressed up. Like some people might be walking around looking like they came out of a fantasy movie. Other people, you know, it could just be like hippies, a lot of tie-dye, just this whole vibe. And it's takes place in this like oak forest that has, there's all these trees that have like these beautiful lights wrapping around a lot of blue lights and stuff like that. And then they have like the lights in the trees too. So there's just like this twinkling light show going on the whole time at night. And then all this like people decorate their tents and it just becomes this colorful little magical city over the weekend and with magical people and creatures and all sorts of strangeness. And so walking into this, I'm like, wow. And uh, then there was a lot of like fun activities. And so there's like a ton of workshops and things like that. You know, if you want to educate yourself on like cool conscious things and um, like they got like yoga and, and like a lot of the food vendors offer like vegan, vegetarian options. And then there's like, you know, all kinds of vendors selling crystals and like magic shit and books and <clears throat> cool wizard gear and all this neat shit and then like all this cool music really some of it's just really good music too where you just want to move and dance and it's like a good variety of stuff too like some of it's jam band hippie shit some of it's kind of electronic shit some of it's like bluegrass stuff there's this, this neat eclectic little mix um and there was a mix CD that was made that featured a bunch of the artists who were going to be there and that mix CD was like uncanny how it just felt like what I needed medicine at the time not to use that cliche music medicine thing but it can be and it is um, <clears throat> so it, it was just a really kind of awe-inspiring magic and walking into the park having that happen and then seeing seeing it blossom into this magical little city and all this cool activity happening and I got in on my first drum circle and it was the first time like I, I just spent like hours and hours and hours just like dancing like an idiot off stage and just feeling free to do so. Like really just really free to just like wild out and just probably look like a tweaker up by the speaker. That's a song. <laughs> Freaker by the speaker. When, and it was a. Uh, I think I was just releasing so much pent up shit, you know, like through movement. And it was just like uh, this massive release of that. And as this festival's going on, a few odd things were happening. Um, at one point I'm walking past the main, sta main stage and I see they have like, Wookiefoot always does this really like intricate, cool stage setups and the person responsible for them is Amy um, Wilmoth, and she does just this incredible shit. It's so, like, artsy and vivid and, like, trippy as fuck sometimes. This year, my first year, Shangri-La 2015, it had um, this stage thing. It was, like, raised above the stage, and it was a concave cone kind of thing that had, like, so you're looking into it, and it was um, concentric squares that were rotated in different directions. So it had this effect of spiraling inward. And, and like, 
at certain points I'm staring at this thing and like the fucking squares are moving and rotating and and I'm looking at it and I'm like that looks like a portal to me I'm like tripping out I'm like that looks like a fucking portal for real like what the and I was when I say tripping out um well sober (laughs) you know like I'm looking at this I'm like that real fucked up like and uh I'm like, damn. And then uh, not long after that, up in the same area near the stage, this kid starts freaking out and screaming like, Harmony Park's a black hole. Harmony Park's a black hole. He's like screaming and at the top of his lungs. And then they have to drag him off in a golf cart because um, he's like, not well. And, and he's convinced Harmony Park's a black hole. And me having seen this weird portal looking kind of thing, happening with the stage I was like well that's trippy and the logical part of me is like maybe it's like some kind of mechanical thing you know I was like whatever the case is cool as hell and I actually talked to her years later and asked if like was that a stationary setup or was that like mechanical because I was looking at it and it was moving and she said it was stationary I was like oh shit whoa and uh so so this kind of there's this weirdness about the place and um and a number number of people I've spoken to um since then have said like at different times they they felt something and like at one point a lot of people mentioned feeling this kind of like shockwave sort of thing or something of this energy of some sort like like a lot of energy going through there and uh, there was a one point um when wikifoot was headlining where mark murphy was like um talking about you know this feeling and this this sense i want you to take this and gather it up you know and and put it in the earth and send it to everyone who can't be here right now i want everybody who who needs this to experience this and um and everybody like raise their hands up into the sky and and then at the same time everybody like drop down and they put their hands to the earth and send this out and then this wave of magic and uh then he got everybody to have this four thousand plus person group hug and you know uh, and like the whole crowd kind of came together in this group hug and it was so cool and uh and it was just this beautiful experience and and i i was just like like hooked man like whoa and uh there were certain times there like there's during that i remember standing watching all this you know and i remember seeing a guy next to me and he had a baseball hat on he looked like kind of out of place amongst all the hippies and stuff but he had this interesting look on his face for whatever reason it sticks out at me and uh but that was it was just a couple things I want I want to just kind of like touch on real quick before I continue with all this it facilitated this environment that nurtured the creative aspect of self and as I mentioned in previous podcasts I had felt like you know around the time I first started tattooing um those things were starting to kind of develop in me and I was starting to express 
you know, that arty part of myself more and the mystical part of myself more and the musical part of myself more and all of this, you know, like I was turning down a different path instead of working in IT or working in healthcare, I started going back to my original intention of, of doing something creative and um, getting into tattooing and pursuing that. And then through that, all these other things sort of opening up. And then as I mentioned, um, I met my ex-husband and all that started to kind of close again. And uh, then what I'm getting at is after I left him and kind of made that decision in a more firm way, although I did fuck up a little bit more afterwards, I'll, I'll tell you about, but um, then I have this experience and all these things kind of come into my experience again. So I get into my first drum circle. Um, this idea of live painting, there are a couple of painters there. There's a many, many painters there actually who are incredibly fucking gifted, but they have a couple of people who paint up by the stage. This is the first time I ever heard of like live painting where people would be painting during a set. And so it was my first experience with that too. And I remember there being this really big like cube at the park and everybody was painting on it. And I remember just really loving that. And I remember a man in like a green shirt asking me about it with long hair. And it was kind of an interesting experience. <coughs> There are a few souls that like stick out at you when you go to festivals for whatever reason, and sometimes it can. There is no reason. <laughs> um, but he was one, and then there was another guy. I remember, like, we were kind of dancing up by the stage, and there was these like toys on the stage. Like there was a stuffed, uh, there was like a stuffed animal, like a moose, and then an owl. And I remember he picked up the moose and he was like sort of dancing with the moose and I was dancing with the owl. And like there was a whole group of us just like dancing to this music. And I think it was like, like Yam or some shit like that. I don't remember. It was like some trippy hippie music and it was super fun to dance to. Um, and then I remember another point during the part where this girl is like dancing by me and then suddenly she, she, she's kind of like, I could tell she's probably been drinking or something. She's sort of like leaning on me. And then very, I noticed she's like suddenly losing consciousness. I'm like, I grab her and I'm like, fuck. <laughs> Cause like, I'm like standing here with this girl who's like passed out. I'm like, someone help me. <laughs> Can someone help me get her to a medical tent? And so this other person helps me get her over to a tent. And it was just like, it, people were there right right away to help and that was really cool and so like it's cool seeing this crowd of like people still have it the awareness to help uh this girl who drank too much so that was cool because I was like I'm not sure I can carry her <laughs> like myself at that point because I've been going kind of hard myself I don't think I was drunk or anything but I was like tired and delirious probably <laughs> from being out in the sun dancing all day and shit so we get so it's just all this cool vibe and then then the shang over set in after the festival ended and we go back and we saw the music to listen to and everything but it's like but you know one way to combat a shang over is to hit local music and uh there happened to be a lot of the bands that were playing at Shane coming through Madison um, over the course of the next couple months. 
and I found myself. Um, so what ended up happening here, we, we decided around, like after the festival or around that time at some point that um, Brad and Ilya invited me to stay with them for a while um, because it was a more kind of isolated place. John wouldn't know where it was and they had an extra room so it was a little more comfortable. Um, and then around that time too I ended up starting to work with Andrew and Luna in their uh, shop and for them I did like some advertising stuff like making flyers and marketing things and a little bit of like web stuff but not much and mostly my job was just like go hang flyers make flyers do some social media stuff for them a little bit of stuff at the shop um and they paid me like a hundred bucks a week in like comp classes they had an event space at the place as well where different people would come in and diff teach different things um so this kind of let's see where we're at on time right now um i think i'll, I'll go into the next little bit of this i think i can this might end up being about like an hour and a half episode or so give or take so the next couple of months after shangri-la um so we're looking at the rest of september <clears throat> and october and then into november a little bit that's kind of what where all this stuff takes place uh, so i'll share this too and that should get us up to about the time i end up in minneapolis i say um so the, the next few months were like this whirlwind of activity and so I had this goal in the back of my mind to kind of get my shit together and get on my feet and start making more money but in tandem with that you had this group of like 20 plus people who all had different events and things going on and I was being invited to all this stuff um, and I was not doing such a great job at getting my shit together um, because and I'm going to look back and give myself a little bit of grace for this because I've done a lot of work on this kind of train of thought I've been on over the last few years with this coming out of that came out of a really fucked up situation and um, on many levels like pretty much every aspect of my life felt fucked up at that time in one way or another right it's a lot of trauma there's a lot of PTSD stuff there was a lot of shit I had to process that was kind of like rolling around in my subconscious that I was just not dealing with um so there was that issue there was family stuff going on which I'll get to um I think given the fact that you know there's that there's that stress test you can do where it gauges how many life stressors you're going through I was going through like all of them around that time okay so I think I can give myself a little bit of grace in that. I was not, you know, doing so good. Um, and I think I've maybe fucked up in that I didn't have my priorities quite straight. And I think instead of like kind of sitting down and doing some of the work, I, I think I, I spent those few months kind of just blocking it out instead and uh, just using using experiences and substances to just ignore my feelings and, and try to just pretend they didn't exist. Um, because, and then also I think I was doing a bit of spiritual bypassing as well because I'm like having all these experiences and synchronicities and I'm sort of using 
that in a weird way as an excuse to not get my shit together. Although, um, it, things unfold as they do. I'm learning to like trust the journey and synchronicity. That's the journey, you know? So, um, we'd be going to these shows all the time. Like on the weekends, there was always some kind of show going on during the week, like on a Thursday or sometimes a Wednesday, there might be a show going on. Plus the, uh, Andrew ran a karaoke business, so there's often a karaoke night, and then um, then there would be each month would be like a red tent because we would choose a different lady each month for the red tent. So there was always like that event going on, and then there were often like other little events like you know parties things like that. So it seemed like it, it at at first glance it doesn't. Like, oh, yeah, this is going on, this is going on. But it, you don't really realize how much time all that stuff takes and how it robs you of your focus. Um, and maybe that's what I needed at the time, too. Just the experience of going out to shows more and, and getting out and going and having humor, human interaction and shit. You know, I think it was necessary and needed and important. But um, I was letting some other stuff slide. Um, so, like, financially, I wasn't doing so hot, and, like, I, I've i never been the most, like, organized administrative person. I, I can do some, but I, I could have been a bit better with that. Like, I needed to get the ball rolling on my divorce paperwork and stuff more, and I had been procrastinating on that, and it was just, like, I was just very distracted, and so, um, and also, full disclosure, so, like, you know, some of those nights we'd go out to, we were drinking, smoking a lot of weed, doing dabs, and then occasionally we'd do, like, some of us would do molly and stuff, too, um, and I kind of, I kind of stopped doing that after a bit, I was, like, it's getting to be a bit much, um, but basically, uh, a few things happen. I'm going to try not to get too sidetracked here. Apologize. It's, it's, it's just a lot of stuff that went on in a short amount of time. Um, so we're going to all these shows. Eventually, uh, Wookiefoot ends up uh, booking a show at Reggie's in Chicago in November. And so I get tickets to go see them. Uh, but in tandem with this, I'm, I'm taking these head tacit classes, right? And so... Uh, my first Hegtasa class, if you're not familiar, Hegtasa is like a form of Western shamanism that has kind of uh, Norse roots, Celtic roots. Um, so it, it follows like the idea of like Yggdrasil, sort of like tree of, tree of worlds, tree of life sort of thing. And then um, in the tradition I was learning from too, it's this idea like it's not so much like deity worship sort of stuff. You look at a lot of deities as like ancestors or ancestor archetypes. You know, that was kind of how that concept is explained to me. Um, so you're working with the archetypes that can be very real and have, you can be working with a consciousness that it might not be a physical person sitting by you and it could be, you never know. Um, you never know what strangers you're talking to. I want to throw that out there, and that became very real to me over the last five years, but um, basically uh, what I'm saying is, like, through Hegtasa, I started 
learning how to kind of work with this energy a little more. Um, I'm running out of time. Film the next one in a second here. Alrighty. Sorry about that. Um, let's see here. Let's continue on where we left off. I'm just going for a little walk now. Bought some avocados from people down the road. It's going to be my dinner. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Anyway, um, so <clears throat> the Sag Tessa thing. It's a form of Western shamanism. It means uh, Hag Tessa means hedge rider, and it's this idea that you're walking kind of in between worlds, and you're working with ancestors and archetypes, and it's basically a shamanistic path that follows um, Old Norse traditions. So you work with the concept of Yggdrasil, the tree of worlds, tree of lives, um, tree of life, and the idea in Yggdrasil is uh, the roots are like the lower realms of your elemental planes and those sort of places and then the trunk is like our middle worlds here and uh, the sister world of this is like Midgar and that I'm sure you've seen like some of the movies and stuff where they talk about that and then from there in the branches you have like the celestial realms where the gods live and angels and magical creatures and what have you <clears throat> so you have all these things and let's see here and, and so this is kind of like the uh, cosmology of, of uh, Hegtessa and kind of some of those Norse traditions and uh, we have the first Hegtessa class and I meet my guide and this is a being I was already familiar with um, through dream time and I explained this in one of the first episodes where I had this dream and I, I encountered this being shortly before I met my now ex-husband and in the dream he he uh, brought me to this fence and asked me to jump over the fence and instead of jumping over the fence I went under the fence and encounter another being like him they were all like centaurs but like deer people and this other being looks all stern and said you should have jumped over the fence so I have that dream and then had another experience with a being like that uh, while I was married. Um, someone I knew had written this weird story, having no idea that I had this kind of like guide. She had no idea about that or the dreams I had. And she wrote the story about this woman who had this guide that was a what she called the celestial fawn, basically a centaur deer person. And that he like materialized in front of movie magic where uh, in the town where we lived and got hit by a car and died. <laughs> And I was really, really offended by that when I read it. For some reason, it bothered me to my core, to the point where I, I didn't really even want to talk to her anymore. And full disclosure, I was kind of revisiting this friendship. I knew her in high school, but we weren't friends at the time because she was fucking my boyfriend. And then she started kind of like making eyes at my husband. I gave her another shot at friendship because we had mutual interests and stuff, but... Um, and when she was banging my boyfriend in high school, she was a lot younger than us. So I kind of looked at it as like maybe she was being kind of taken advantage of because he was older than her. But um, then I saw, no, this is a pattern that may continue. So I cut things off with her between her kind of fl flirting with my husband at the time and then reading this weird story. I just decided to stop talking to her. Um, and it was especially the story. Um, reading those words kind of 
impacted me in a deep way, in a weird way. And, and I even went so far as to do meditations to try and like change that outcome, like give him wings and make sure he was safe from that reality. And um, so fast forward, I'm in the Sagtessa class, our first class, we meet our guides and we go through this guided meditation and we go into an altered state through the use of drum beats and breathing techniques and uh, an herb called mugwort, or it's also known as cronewort. It's um, just got a relaxing effect that it facilitates being in kind of a dreamlike state, um, but it's not uh, intoxicating. Um, so we go through this guided meditation and meet our guides and then I see this being again. and. Uh, then not long after that, uh, I do another Hegtessa journey, and he's there again, and uh, he takes me to this place, and it's this valley with a big forest on one side and a big mountain on the other side. On the, to my right is the mountain, to my left is the forest, and then all through this valley on the, on the ground are these white six-petaled flowers and he has me pick up one of the flowers and put it in my pocket and uh, then he leads me to the mountain and there at the base of the mountain is a cave with this yellow light coming out of it and he leads me into this cave and we come to the center of the mountain and there's this chasm and he's like since you didn't jump over the fence in your dream you now must jump over this chasm and make it to the other side and so I do and I'm able to do it and it's still dramatic and I have to like raise myself up over the ledge and stuff, but I do it. <clears throat> and he's like, good, now we fly. And the two of us shoot up and out of this mountain, moving like faster than like just super fast. And as we're shooting up and out of the mountain, it's like we're moving through this tree of life. Like the mountain is this tree, the base of the mountain being the base of the trunk of this tree. And as we move through it, we go through all these worlds until we're like hovering outside of time and space. And it's like we're in space, but there's all this color prismatically moving through it. And it's like we can look at infinity and see the whole of infinity stretched out before us. And it, you know, which seems like it should be a kind of a big deal, seems just cool, you know. And um, we're floating there in this space. And, glowing like white and he presses this flower to my forehead and I start going through this transformation where I start looking like him like I start turning into a deer person and my hair starts growing super long really fast and um, he braids the flower into my hair and then he kisses me and he says you are an angel and angels have work to do and um, in tandem with this, I'm growing wings, and I'm growing like feathers out of my head and shit, and uh, we're both like glowing white. And the vision ends after that, and um, I'm going to finish it up just almost at this part. There's something that happens the next day that's really crazy, and then I'll pick it up from there in the next podcast, I think. So, <clears throat> so uh, I have this vision, and I'm just like wow this is insane everything played out like a movie so crystal clear and like I I was certain that I was experiencing something pretty special I hadn't had anything that vivid before and uh, so 
I went on my Facebook after and noticed a strange thing that uh, one of the members of Mookie Foot posted something to the order of, I've never been so high in my life. I need to reassemble my molecules. And that statement really made me feel like it was kind of like a good description for how I had felt um, having this experience. It was like shooting up out of this tree, up out of past space and time. And I was kind of tripping on that. And then the next day, I was supposed to go to a Wookiee Foot show in Chicago. And I did. I went with my head Tessa teacher and uh, the other student we, we were working with, and uh, who happened to have the same birthday as me, like minus 10 years. But um, So we go to this Wookiee Foot show, and as soon as we start to leave, it starts like snowing. And it had been like nice and unseasonably warm up till then. It starts snowing like crazy. We get there, and the show doesn't start till almost an hour later than it's supposed to. And they finally open the doors and let us in. We're all freezing our asses off. <laughs> but it made it so worth it to get inside. And uh, we get in there, and the opening bands were really awesome. And then uh, Wookie Foot came on finally. And I was a. Uh, Kind of, I was up by the front of the stage, sort of like protecting the pedal boards and, and gear from these drunk girls who were slashing their drinks around. And uh, Mark Murphy comes out, the lead singer of Wookie Foot, and comes up to me and puts his hand on my shoulder and just smiles at me and doesn't say a word and then goes and starts playing. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> and then uh, later on, he has me help him feed the mic cord out as he's going into the audience to sing. And then we help him get back on stage. And then at one point, the these dancers come out behind him um, on the left of the stage. And my jaw drops and he gets this like sly smile on his face kind of. Because the dancers were dressed. Head to toe in white. The male dancer had antlers on his head. The female dancer was wearing a feather headdress. And this was all of the stuff from the vision I had the night before. Playing out in front of me on stage. And these dancers were coming up to me and stuff too. And it was kind of intense. <laughs> and I'm just like, what is happening here? <laughs> and I'm also in tandem with this really, really stoked. Because I'm like, what is happening here? <laughs> Um, the show finally gets over and it's amazing and then Mark Murphy comes to talk to us. He invites us to party with them, but we had to get back to Wisconsin, so we didn't party with him. Um, and he says, sorry to put all that on you, you just seem like one of the few clear-eyed people in the audience, is what he said to me. And, um, and we make our way back to Wisconsin and on our way back we see this deer in Chicago and then uh, get back, go to bed the next day. I go to work and shit starts getting kind of weird. Um, you know, I, I'm like floating on cloud nine at this point, just like super thrilled with life. And I get to work and I'm going to hang flyers and stuff. And um, everything is just amazing to me. <laughs> and um, I think I will leave off here and I will tell that next part of the story tomorrow. So we'll tell, um, so I'll go into that tomorrow. Um, 
because it's kind of a lot. So we'll break it up into manageable bits. I got, you know, I got a little time to do this here. So, um, so tune in tomorrow and uh, I will tell you what happened after this show and how I ended up eventually making my way to Minneapolis. And um, I'll tell you about some of the crazy, bizarre shit that was going on in Madison that kind of caused me to leave and um, my thoughts and perspectives on it. And uh, before we get into any of that tomorrow, you know, I just want to say that I'm going to do my best to be as um, um, non-biased and objective as possible as I relate his stories. And I'm relaying them from my memories. And I will, if I've had a change in perspective of how something's happened, I will make sure I explain that. But I will also be sure to explain things from the perspective I was at while these things were going on. Because my views on some things have changed with time. And some things, and and so I, I want to make sure I'm clear on all that when, when I film this for tomorrow. But I think this is a good stopping point. I get to kind of share with you how crazy Shangri-La was. That experience, having these weird experiences with these weird synchronous things happening as I'm going about my day. Um, so this, for example, that Jojo guy I mentioned who posted something on Facebook. He was always posting weirdly synchronous shit that would seem to be like really lining up with whatever was going on for me at the moment. If I happened to be check my Facebook and I would see a post that was oddly synchronous. And um, he wasn't the only person I noticed this with, but he was one of the ones where I noticed a lot. Um, and there were other people too where it was that same sort of odd experience. <clears throat> and uh, so was, I'd been kind of tripping out over that. And then, you know, having these kind of like metaphysical experiences working in, with Hectessa and working with my guide. And there are a number of other of those I want to share too, but I, I don't want this to get too long in each episode. I want to keep it kind of manageable. So um, I'll go into that in the next one. And that should bring us up to about the point where I get into Minnesota. And from there, we'll talk about how I ended up in Hawaii the first time and, and um, we'll get into some of that. All right. Um, if you've been listening to these, thank you very much. Um, it's, it's nice things sometimes to be heard and for someone just to hear your story. And that's part of why I'm doing this because I've definitely shared my story with people on an individual level from time to time, but you know, I've never really put it out there in its entirety and it's just to be heard, you know, it's, even just to have the opportunity to be heard. I don't know that anyone really listens to these or cares. Um, and it's not really why I'm doing this. It's the opportunity to be heard, but it also allows me to kind of release this stuff in a sort of sense. And, and um, the solstice seems like an appropriate time to kind of work on that. And so that's kind of my way of retelling my story and... Um, kind of uh, going over the lessons of the last five, ten years and, and what that looks like and reflecting on where I am now versus where I was and how I've changed as a person and the things I've experienced. And my hope is that, you know, maybe people can take something from that that might be useful to them in some way. Um, and I can say I shared it, you know, and that I didn't clam up and hide. Um, because that tends to be my 
go-to reaction to everything, and I'm trying to work on that, so, um, anyway, I will be on tomorrow with the next part, um, if I feel so inclined, I might do it earlier, but I want to at least get today done, so, thank you for listening this evening, this morning, this afternoon, wherever it happens to be where you are, have a beautiful whatever it is for you, and, um, we'll talk soon, aloha.